Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Is your life reflecting the will of God? Let's say that another way. Are you doing the things that God has called you, commanded you to do? A person who truly is a believer, who has received the light of God's truth, who is in a covenantal relationship with Messiah, his life, for the most part, is going to reflect obedience to the instructions, the words of God. Take out your Bible and look with me to John's first epistle. And now we're ready for chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, in this first verse, we're going to see what should be the normative experience for a disciple of Messiah. I say normative because this is what God expects. This is how believers behave. But as we're going to see, this speaks about the vast majority of time. But there's always that exception. Notice what he says in, in verse 2. Now he says, my children. And it's just that, children. If your Bible says sons, it does not translate this word properly. This is a word that speaks about a family relationship. It is a word of great endearment, of love, of fellowship. And therefore, John, this one who wrote this epistle, is writing with great love, with great concern, speaking to them as a leader speaks to someone that he loves significantly, one that he wants only the good for. And he writes here, My children, these things I write to you in order that you should not sin. That's what's normative. A believer, one who has been brought into the family of God, should not sin. And this revelation what John is teaching, but in a general sense, the revelation of God, the word of God teaches us how to obey, how to do the will of God. So he says, my children, these things I write to you in order that you should not sin. And if someone should sin. So it's not speaking about the fact that to be a true believer, you, you live a perfect life, you never sin. No, there are times that we do sin. But sin should not characterize our life. Our life should not be full of sin. It should be the exception, not the norm. But he says here, and this is good news, and if someone should sin, we have, who's we? 
believers, those who are in that new covenant relationship with God. If we should sin, he says, we have, and this is a word for it, advocate. It is a word that refers to a lawyer, someone who represents us. And of course, this one who represents us is also, and this is what's so marvelous, is that Messiah, he is the defense attorney, but he's also the judge. The scripture says, all issues of judgment, God the Father has given to his son. So we can have, once again, we talked about this last week, we can have assurance. We can have confidence that our sins have been forgiven. And if we should sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And who is that? Messiah Yeshua, the righteous one. He's all about righteousness, and that's what he secured for us. Now, last week, in this first chapter, I mentioned to you that there was this perfect intimacy between God the Father and God the Son. There was never a time that they were not together. We talked about how John, in his gospel, the same John, how he wrote in the gospel that, that he, speaking of Yeshua, and God the Father are one. If you have seen me, Yeshua says, you have seen the Father. For my Father and I are one. But there was just that momentary separation when Messiah, he became sin for us. We talked about when our sins were, were placed upon him when he was on the cross. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He paid the penalty. But in the same way that, that his sinfulness, our sinfulness, let's get this right, in the same way that our sinfulness was placed upon him, his righteousness, this one who never sinned, his righteousness was placed upon us. He's all about righteousness. And therefore, because our righteousness is imputed to us from him, we can be assured. And that's why we see here that this advocate, this one who speaks in our behalf, he says that, that this one is Messiah Yeshua, the righteous one. And he, what has he secured for us? Well, it's an important word. If your Bible says atonement, it's not the Greek word for atonement. It's something better than atonement. Many of the Bibles in English will see, say the propitiation. Now, propitiation, it doesn't just cover up the sin. That's what atonement does. It covers it up. But it's still there. And judgment is still in the equation. As long as it's covered, judgment is, is set aside. But when it's uncovered, judgment will come. Not so with propitiation. Propitiation is a, a type of redemption, a synonym for that concept, which just doesn't cover it up, but it erases it. It, it annihilates, it destroys, so there's no longer any, any sin that can be charged against us. So the good news is, is this. He's our advocate because he's done the work of propitiation. He has redeemed us from all of our sin. 
Look at what it says in, in this verse, verse 2. And he is the propitiation of, of our sins. And then he says something that's marvelous. But not only concerning our sins, but also concerning the sins, and this is the implication, of the whole world. Now, what does that tell us? Well, there's no other way to understand it. Messiah's death was not a limited atonement as some teach. In fact, it is improper ultimately to think of Messiah's work as atonement. It goes beyond that. It is the work of redemption. And that work of redemption was not limited in any way. It was complete. His work did entirely what God wanted. The scripture says in John 3.16, also same author, for God so loved the world. Not just some of the world, not just some elect, but God loved all human beings. And he loved them so that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe in him, and here's the key, this believing allows us to receive that propitiation, that redemption. But the work was sufficient for all the sins of the world, for everyone. So if you are in a congregation that teaches a limited atonement concerning Messiah, that he only died for the elect, that is based upon this verse and others. It is an unscriptural, it is not a true theological position. It is false. Once more, and he is the propitiation concerning our sins, but not concerning our sins alone, but also concerning the whole world. Verse 3, and in this we know that we have known him. Now, this word for knowing something is being repeated. And it's very important when it speaks about knowing him, it's in the perfect meaning. We've known him in the past, we know him today, and that knowledge will continue into the future. So if someone says, I have known him, if this is the case, notice what it says, and his commandments he should keep. There is a, a evidence, a testimony, when one knows Messiah, that one who knows Messiah is going to want to keep his instructions, his commandments, his revelation to us. In other words, we're going to want our new creation, this regeneration. We are a new individual born again. We are going to, by that new nature, want to obey, to keep his commandments. So verse 4 says, the one who says, I have known him, meaning I've known him in the past, I know him now, and I'll forever know him. But he says his commandments he does not keep. He doesn't want to. He's not interested. He's not committed to that. He does not keep. He says this one is a liar, and in this one the truth is not. So notice the connection here. John writes in a very specific way. 
He writes to tell us that there is a connection between receiving the truth and that truth is going to give you a desire, going to give you a burden, going to give you a commitment to obey. Now again, that's the normative. That is the predominant experience. Will there be at times, unfortunately, when one will turn aside for a moment and there's sin, there's some act of disobedience? Yes, we're still human. But as we grow and mature, that should become less and less the reality of our life. It should be the exception of our life, not the rule, not the normative. And this is what he's saying here. The truth of God makes a difference. That message that he was speaking about last week that was proclaimed, it makes a difference. It brings about a change, a godly change, which is manifested through obedience, the obedience of keeping his commands. And, and let me just simply say that, that the command that's going to be acknowledged here is one that's rooted in the Torah. Those who teach, oh, Messiah, he, he gave a totally different set of commandments. In fact, all of those are, are the ones in the Old Testament are done away with, not important, not for us. But we just have uh, a few others. This is false teaching. Notice what the scripture is going to do. And it's when we look at all the scripture, and here I could say all the New Testament. This truth that I'm going to share with you is, is supported. It's validated. Let's move on. Look, if you would, to, to verse 5. But whoever, it says, keeps, keeps his word, truly in this one is the love of God, and the love of God is perfected, meaning this, the love of God works out and brings to the end of what God desires for that person. He manifests the end, the results that God wants. So look again, verse 5, and whoever shall keep his command truly in this one, this one who's keeping, the love of God is, is perfected. Now, we see something. We see a connection between love and the commandments. That shouldn't surprise us. If I were to ask you, what did Messiah say was the greatest commandment? You all know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What was the one who was like it? What we could say expresses that love we have for God the Father with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Loving our neighbor as ourselves. Remember that. Because Paul says in Galatians, he writes that, that we can say all the Torah in one sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. It characterizes, it personifies in action what the Torah speaks of, love, love for another. And that motivation to love another is because we've experienced the love of God and we love him. As Messiah says in Matthew, we show our love for God by loving the least of our brethren. That's who we are now. So once again, he talks about how the, the love of God is made perfected. It accomplishes, it produces the end result. 
And then he writes, verse, verse 5, second part, in this one, or in this, we know that, that we are in him. In this fact, it confirms, it manifests. And the fact that the love of God is being perfected in our life, that we walk in obedience to his instructions, his words, his commandments. It says, in this we know that in him we are. It manifests that reality of that relationship with the living God through Messiah. Verse 6. The one saying, in him. Now, the point here, and John's writing a little bit uh, choppy, choppy in our translations, but not in Greek. He says, the one who is saying in him, meaning he is in him. He has a relationship, that covenant relationship. If one says that, then he goes on and says, such a one, look at verse, verse 6, such a one ought to remain, meaning he ought to remain in this condition. And how does he do that? He says, just as that one, who's that one? Messiah. Just as that one should walk, also he thus should walk. Which means what? There should be a similarity. There should be a, a continuity. When we look at how Messiah lived when he became flesh, we should imitate him, be like him, do the things that he did. And what didn't he do? He did not sin. We mentioned that several times. He was without sin. What does that mean? He never violated the commandments of God. He came, took on human flesh, and he submitted himself perfectly to the commandments of Moses. And the commandments of Moses still, in this day that we're in, it still gives us the framework for knowing what is righteous and thereby knowing what's unrighteous. I can promise you this. When you set aside the commandments of Moses and you say they're not important, little by little, sin is going to manifest itself in our life. What does Paul teach in Romans? Paul's teaching to believers. And Paul says, the purpose of the law. And there's several, but he says the primary purpose for us is that sin still manifests itself by the violations of the law, which means this. The Torah still has a purpose of manifesting sin in our life. It's when I study each of these commandments under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, looking at that law, that commandment that Moses wrote down that he received from God the Father, that God wrote down with the finger of God, the scripture says. When I study those commandments, it manifests area in my life that, that are not pleasing to God, that causes me to walk now by faith and not by sight, not in the flesh. So once again, look at the text. He says in verse 6, the one who says in him that he's in him, he ought to remain just as that one walked. He also thus should walk. So lifestyle is important. Are we, are we saved by, by lifestyle, by obedience? No, we are not. But having been saved, 
our lifestyle is going to demonstrate our relationship with him. It is going to speak whether we're in him and not. And let me just simply say, theologically, I'm speaking about many different passages that we find in the New Covenant, primarily those ones who were written by Paul. Paul reveals how many wonderful benefits there are because we are in Messiah. Over and over, he uses that term, in Messiah. And there's so many wonderful things that come as a result of being in him. Look now to, to verse 7. He says, brothers, and this means brothers and sisters, both in Hebrew and in Greek, oftentimes the masculine plural implies either all men or a mixed group, men and women alike. So he says, Brothers, many would say brethren, which is more inclusive. Brethren, not a new commandment I write to you. Now, I would highlight that because this is important. Those who teach, well, we need to unhitch ourselves from, from the commandments of the Old Testament. What is John saying here? Don't do that. That is a false teaching that is dangerous. And we're going to understand a wonderful conclusion in a moment to being a new covenant believer, being endowed with that Holy Spirit, that indwelling spirit in our life, and what he does and the changes that he brings in our life. Look again at verse, verse 7. Brethren, not a new commandment I write to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning, meaning the beginning of God's revelation to man. So he says, not a new commandment, but an old commandment. I, I write to you one that you've had from the beginning. He says, the old commandment is the word. This can mean this revelation that, that you have heard from the beginning. Now, if you have been paying good attention, you have seen at least three times since we began our study of the book of, of 1 John, an emphasis within verses concerning the beginning. And the beginning speaks about God's revelation to man, which reveals his purpose. So it goes back to something that, that is before the preaching of the gospel before the earthly ministry of Messiah. And it speaks about the objective of God. So he writes here, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. And then notice what he does in verse 8. Now, he just told us twice, not a new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. So he says, not anew. But what is he going to do in verse 8? He's going to say something that may surprise us. He says, again, a new commandment I write unto you. Now wait. Didn't he just say, not a new commandment? Now he's saying, a new commandment? Isn't that confusion? Isn't that, that uh, conflicting? No, it's not. It is neither confusing or conflicting when you understand his intent. What he's saying is this, it is only through the ministry of Messiah Yeshua. 
that we can take those old commandments and they become new. It is only through, and this is big, it is only through being a new creation in Messiah, having His Spirit dwelling in you, the Holy Spirit, that it can take that, that old law that, that wrongly people thought were outdated, useless, not for us, done away with, and it can make it into a new commandment, meaning this, that only we who walk in the Spirit have the power, the potential to, to fulfill the righteousness of the law. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 4. So it's through this new creation that we become, through faith, through that message, through what Messiah did, his redemption, that we can take the old and make it into new. And that word new relates to the kingdom. So it makes the old commandment a new covenant, a new kingdom experience. He says, again, a new commandment I write to you, which is true, here it is, true how? In him, and the implication is in him alone and in you. Now, why is it in him alone? It's when we are in him, only then, do we have the potential to take that, that Old Testament commandment and apply it with the leadership of the Holy Spirit and make it something that relates, that manifests the righteousness of the kingdom of God. Only a disciple of Messiah can do that. So it's true in him, he always carried out the, the righteousness of the law. He displayed it perfectly. And what it's saying is this, we, because we are in him, we also, that new commandment is going to be in us as well so that we can display the righteousness of God's revelation by behavior. Not something so spiritual, something symbolic, no. Something that is tangible. It produces the righteousness of God, which manifests the glory of God. So it is true in him, he lived it this way, and in us, we should as well. Verse 8, second part, because the darkness for us has gone away, and the true light already shines. Where does that true light shine? In our lives. How? Through our behavior. It is our behavior. When we, and don't miss this, it is when we rightly apply the Word of God, all of God's Word, including Mosaic law. When we take that, having been renewed in the Spirit, walking in the newness of life, walking in the, the regeneration of the Spirit, only we, no one else can do this, only we can take all of God's Word and find the relevancy that God placed in that command, placed in that instruction, so that we can express the righteousness. It's for us. That is the testimony that we have. And this is what he's saying here in the middle of verse 8 when he says, because there's no darkness. Why not? He says, because the darkness has gone away and the true light already through salvation, 
through the receiving the Holy Spirit, that, that true light already shines. Verse 9. The one who is, is in the light and his brother hates, it says here, in the darkness he is until now. So the one who says, look at what he says. The one who says, in the light, he is. And his brother, he hates. He's not in the light. He is in the darkness until till now. Until now, there's been no change in him. But he goes on to say in verse 10, the one who loves his brother, this is the real one who is in the light. Look again, verse 10. The one who loves his brother. In the light, he does what? He remains. And a stumbling block or a fence. Now, it's where we get the English word for scandal. Something that is scandalous, shameful. And that scandalous behavior can be a stumbling block. It can offend others. And what he's saying here is this. Whole verse. Verse, verse 10. The one who loves his brother, in the light he remains. And there's no offense, nothing scandalous in him. So there's not, it's not something that is scandalous in him. Verse 11. But this one, very important, the one who hates, this one who hates his brother. Where is he? He's the one who is in darkness and in darkness he walks now what does that mean it means that he is not utilizing truth he is not not taking hold of the revelation of god he is not acting in light of this message that that john has said we have shared that we have revealed that we proclaim no this one is still in darkness now go back to something that we've mentioned previously. When we looked at chapter one, we talked about how <laughs> light brought about God's order. Light brought about a change in creation so that creation could be in the state that was well-pleasing to God, that God would say, behold, it's very good. Do you not want God to say to you, when he examines you, behold, you are very good. Well done. I'm well pleased with this, my servant. That's what every true believer wants to hear. And what he's telling us is this. Until the light, that is the truth, the revelation of God, we take hold of and we apply to our life, until we do that, we're not going to have order. What are we going to have? Darkness. So here's what it comes down to. You are either going to be walking in light, that is, being led by the truth of God, being submissive to all of his instructions. Where do we find his instructions? In the scriptures. Or we will not respond to that invitation. We will remain in darkness, and instead of loving and seeing that love being perfected in us, as we saw in this, this study, What's going to happen? We're going to remain in darkness. The truth will not be in us. There will be no light. And what's going to happen? Instead of seeing love perfected and loving 
our, our neighbor, what are we going to do? We are going to do just what it says here. Last verse, verse 11. But, meaning in contrast to the one who's loving his neighbor, he says the one who hates his brother. Now, this change from loving your neighbor to brother, it's simply a, a different way of saying the same thing. It is most significant that John, in this section of chapter 2, he is writing and referring to unquestionably the foundation of the Torah which is loving your neighbor as yourself. He just makes it more personal, your brother, in, in, in regard to the fact that we're supposed to be one. So he says, the one who hates his brother, in darkness he is, and in darkness he walks, and he does not know where he goes. What does that mean? Well, if you're walking and you don't know where you're going, you are confused. And this is the outcome of darkness. It leads to confusion in every sense of that word. Physical confusion, emotional confusion, spiritual confusion. You're simply not going to have leadership, truth, a perspective whereby you can exercise. And here's one of the great outcomes of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, he gives us discernment we can make god pleasing decisions but the one who's darkness it says here the one who's in darkness he does not know where he goes because the darkness the darkness has blinded his eyes now i'm going to close with a question and that's this have you chosen darkness when you forsake God's instructions. When you forsake the commandments of God saying, I'm not interested. See, as a believer, we and only we have the potential having the, the benefit of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can take that, that old covenant law and give it a kingdom connection, a kingdom fulfillment. When we do what? being led by the Spirit. We walk in a way that fulfills the righteousness of the law. That is our call. That manifests light. And it's a powerful testimony. And it's when we, and hear this, it's when we have such a testimony that we are going to see others being influenced by our life. And that influence is going to produce eternal consequences eternal consequences that are going to be a source of eternal joy and gladness and happiness it is only with the truth of god being submissive and recognizing his authority that you're going to have a meaningful life with eternal implications that produces that which is going to be joyful forever and ever Good news from John. Well, I'll close with that. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. 
may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. <laughs>